This is Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. To win the sale, to maximize the value, you have to build a relationship, you build a rapport, you get them to trust you, and you delight them. And ultimately, customers don't want more decisions when they walk into a store. Uh, Decisions are painful. They want to be really confident in the few decisions that they do make. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with your host, Bob Fibbs the champion for a more human connection in retail for over 30 years as a retail doctor. Bob is the authority on brick and mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest luxury brands to independent retailers of all sizes. Today, I'm excited to welcome Andrew Duffy and Jake Levin, who met at Harvard University and are the co-founders of Sparkplug, a groundbreaking platform that addresses the complex issue of point of sale influence across various consumer product and retail sectors. That sounds like they wrote it, it's because they did. Andrew describes himself as a behavioral science nerd turned finance nerd turned startup nerd. We'll find out about him. And Jake says he is obsessed with product, with building products so good, you can't help but use them. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Me too. Thanks, Bob. So, Andrew, I'm going to start with you. In Glossy recently, you said any D2C brand that hopes to succeed in the coming decade needs to figure out how to take advantage of the most cost-effective customer acquisition channel they have, the old-fashioned brick-and-mortar store, since you're in front of a wall of brick-and-mortar. Why'd you say that? I said that because it's true, uh, and I like to speak the truth. So ultimately, what we saw over the past 20 years, I want to say, is a vast overinvestment in the D2C channel. Direct-to-consumer has always been extremely exciting, but investment in that channel, be it in particular technologies that enable that channel or dollars spent on that channel in the form of advertising or digital influencing campaigns, have been always ahead of where that market is actually at in terms of volume. So even post-pandemic, now only about 15% of commerce in the U.S. is happening online. 85% of it is happening in physical retail or restaurant environments, which means that the vast amount of dollars funneling into that 15% target space are going to be consistently bidding up and making more and more expensive any scenario in which you're trying to access and acquire a customer. Whereas the physical retail environment is vastly underinvested, has all of these people already moving through it, has all of these systems built up by these retailers over years to maintain and retain relationships with their customers. And all of these D2C brands have a huge untapped opportunity there, which is why we're seeing so many of these big companies like Perry's or Allbirds or any of the classic D2C darlings now starting to focus so much of their investment on either expending capital to build out those environments or expending capital to get into the special placements in those environments by creating you know, a partnership with Target where they can get an end cap or ideally um, investing in new channels like employee incentivization and frontline worker activation that allow them to get that product in front of the customer in a way that is familiar to them in the same way that they've been doing it in D2C. Let's build a scalable campaign. Let's get people influential in front of those customers and put the product in their hands. That's a pivot over to what he really wants to talk about, which is spark plug. <laughs> but you are clearly brilliant, my friend. I uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Although 
Apple just came out with um, metaverse headsets. So we'll all be using those tomorrow to shop in our pajamas, right? Anyway, uh, so Jake, um, can you share the story behind how you guys founded Sparkplug and what inspired you to start the company? I mean, I always start with what problem did you solve? And then you kind of go back from there. How's that? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Andrew and I, as you mentioned, met in college. We uh, were best friends in school. We both uh, graduated in Harvard 2016, went to work for a year, and one day just about outside um, in the in the finance space, and we needed that extra day to keep our signing bonus, uh, and we hated it. We were so bored. We were so miserable. It was just sterile in these boxes all day, um, so we decided to, to head west, um, and we we uh, really, we're thinking about California, but ran out of gas um, in Colorado, right around Boulder, um, found ourselves in the tea, natural foods, CBD, cannabis capital of the world. We were kind of interested in, in all those spaces. Um, and we wound up starting a CBD herbal tea company as our very first business called Sky and Wyatt. Uh, my middle name is Sky. Andrew's middle name is Wyatt. Uh, so Sky and Wyatt was a CBD herbal tea that we were selling in uh, you know, online, of course, but we were very focused on the kind of natural foods uh, stores in Boulder, in some dispensaries, in spas, boutiques. Um, and before we ever got a dollar from those channels, you know, we dropped off all of our product. We got an invoice from them. We had 90 terms and we got an invoice from them. And they were charging us for some training activations that they were doing. And they wanted us to invest in some you know, promos and they were, you know, saying some of their brand partners will do, um, you know, incentives or spiffs for, for the masseuses um, in, in the spas. And we love the idea of all of that, but we were really confounded by how we were supposed to measure whether or not this was going to work. Um, so we ultimately were solving a problem that we encountered as a small CPG brand trying to drive sales through our partner retailers. Um, and we, we wound up building what has become Sparkplug as the kind of technical solution for that problem, which of course, integrates with the point of sales at these stores and kind of seamlessly facilitates um, these sorts of coordination uh, and field marketing initiatives between brands and retailers. Well, let's step back and you guys will have to pivot between the two of you who answers what, because now you've each gotten a question. So I feel like, all right, I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> We're used to it. Uh, so tell us, let's take a step back. What are the key features of functionalities? And please, Andrew, I don't need like every single one thanks data nerd business nerd uh but for like you tell a friend at starbucks whoever you you know or your independent coffee house since you just mentioned boulder uh but what would you tell them what does it do and how does it work and why does anyone give a darn about it i give a darn about it that's why you're on the podcast but help our listeners <laughs> I appreciate that endorsement, Bob. Um, yeah, so what Sparkplug really does at its core is allows vendors, retailers, restaurants to see and understand exactly what's happening in the sales environment so they can see all that data, analyze that data, know what's going on in a way that previously they could not, particularly for vendors being able to see into these retail and restaurant environments. And then most critically, in the same platform, allows you to actually influence those environments. So it gives you not only the ability to understand, but then the ability to create campaigns that will pay dollars out to the point of sale employees in those environments to get them more excited about selling a particular brand, hitting particular order averages or other targets that you want to set. Um, essentially, it gives you the ability to, via those point of sale integrations that Jake mentioned, leverage that data in the most actionable way possible, which is selling more product, getting employees more excited, retaining them 
and ultimately continuing that cycle of collaboration between vendors and brands that has been the core of retail, but thus far has been you know, extremely fractious and difficult and, and full of friction. Um, so we really just want to smooth that by having shared information and shared ability to impact those stores. So if I can simplify this a little, uh, Plug is a, it lives next to your POS. It can read what's going on with the integrations they have, and you can reward your employees for selling more on the floor, whether it's as a shift, whether it's as a, a, a product, a service, whatever it's going to be. And all the tracking lives within the app. So you can actually see who's doing the job and not. This is really important for an awful lot of us who uh, say, oh, well, my crew doesn't work on commission or they don't work on this or, or that. Well, how do you get them to actually throw their physical uh, person behind a product or to do more in this age? Because let's face it, Gen Z and millennials, they're like, what's in it for me? And so you can answer that really simply. Does that sound like that's a pretty fair way to say that, Jake? Yeah, I think that that's right. I think, you know, we're back in the coffee shop. Um, it, I think the, the wonderful thing about Sparkplug and, and our value proposition is that we don't have to convince anyone how impactful it can be for your business to have your salespeople, your frontline workers, all motivated and, uh, you know, aligned with the growth of the business and have a clear vision for how their work day in and day out interfacing with customers is going to result in, um, you know, success for the company, but, you know, more importantly for them, more dollars in their uh, pocket at the end of the day when they go home. Um, so we don't have to convince business owners of that, but everyone we speak to uh, and, uh, you know, customers say it's just too much of a headache. The kind of administrative overhead of managing a program like that is just too daunting. Their whole jobs are putting out fires. So, you know, they, it, without Sparkplug, this process is, you know, managing Excel spreadsheets, updating everyone daily, angry employees when their numbers are off and dealing with the payouts. Are they interfacing with payroll? How are they going to get people their money? It's just the last thing that they want is yet another thing. Uh, so Sparkplug really takes all of that to consolidate it into you know, a one-stop one shop uh, platform to just click the, the incentive that you want to or the, the selling behavior that you want to motivate. And that maybe that's just upsells. We want to do an extra shot of uh, you know, wheatgrass added on every order that comes to the coffee shop because we're trying to move through all this wheatgrass juice that we have. Um, you know, you just pick that out from the point of sale integration, put, uh, you know, 150 bucks to the top wheatgrass upseller at the end of the month. Um, and then, you know, employees tracking their phone through kind of gamified experience, really very much inspired by some of the leading consumer facing apps these days, Robinhood, DoorDash, you know, all, all these sorts of um, tools, which have really mastered the art of getting people to do a behavior. Well, uh, that's really the focus there. Yes. I uh, didn't want to uh, interrupt you. No, please. I, th I think the thing that um, is so different and so in alignment with the way I look at the world is, look, if you're going to go through and say, holy crap, we really overbought in that. Let's discount it. Okay. But maybe... Um, that's a decent product. You just overbought. And so now when you discount it, you've now trained the customer to go like, well, when's the next sale on this? You've already taught them it's not worth whatever it was. So this goes around the scene and says, all right, I've already committed. I'm going to have to do this. Why not make my employees day? They get something out of it. The customer doesn't necessarily know anything has happened with it. They just have more access to it and everybody wins. So. Um, Let's go back also as as founders of this. I mean, what was a significant challenge? I mean, 
It sounds like wonderful. Everything went smoothly. You had the ideation. There you are in Boulder. You're like, everyone will want it. You would just call up people and you're like, can we give you money? I mean, so what are some of the challenges that you run into with uh, either retailers or even um, servers or people on the front line? I think the biggest challenge um, as it pertains to the employees themselves, getting them excited and activated is just the fact that attention is the currency of the land today. Everybody wants their attention and we have to create really effective ways to get that attention and keep that attention. And you'd be surprised how it is still quite challenging to get people's attention, even when you're offering them money, um, because a lot of people are offering people money for their attention. Um, so you have to have that perfect combination of gamified, engaging platform, as well as the right incentives to get them excited about executing on a selling behavior. Um, and that's where you know, the, the real coordination and sort of networked aspect of it comes from. Um, and then the other kind of key problem is the cold start problem. It's kind of classic. You know, we, we have a network that is fueled by not only working directly with retailers and restaurants who want to run their own incentives internally, hey, who has the highest order average, who's selling the most desserts, who's selling the most of this new product that we just got on the shelf. But we also work with the vendors who want to be able to incentivize sales of their product. So you know, if I'm Patagonia and I want to sell more jackets in REI, I need to be able to influence those employees and drive dollars into that store. But to create that network effectively means kind of that classic chicken egg problem. How do we get both vendors and retailers on at the same time who want to work with each other? Um, and that's more of like a go-to-market, you know, business development challenge. Um, but it's you know pretty classic for a marketplace. And not to have Patagonia pissed at you because you just had somebody competitor that's trying them on the same space and and then trying to keep it track for the uh, how do you keep track of it, uh, Jake, so that your employees aren't you know kind of like. What's the special of the day today? Oh, it's women's dresses, size three or something, right? So how do you keep it so that it's not overwhelming? Because I think that's what I like about the simplicity of you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, uh, retailers and restaurants always have control over what uh, incentives are going to be available to employees. So they are that kind of gatekeeper, and it's not just a total flood, a free-for-all um, I think the second thing is that Sparkplug in, in our work is, is really pioneering incentive marketing as an entirely new channel for brands and businesses to reach their customers and motivate, uh, you know, certain purchasing behaviors. And as a result, it's something we have to educate our customers a lot on. And I often equate it to HubSpot and email marketing um, and the kind of art and science of email marketing in uh, perfecting the call to action and the copy and the creative. And uh, when it comes to spark plug and incentive marketing, that's motivated us to really make the tool so configurable and customizable to the sales environment, to the, the margin of the product. We run incentives on everything from chicken wings at a restaurant to uh, a pair of skis at, at, a, at a ski shop, right? And those are wildly different sorts of um, consultative in-store experiences where um, you're going to spend different amounts of time with the customer and there's different opportunity to upsell. So we give our customers tools to run all sorts of different incentives varying in structure, whether it's a commission or a contest or a goal, whether it's for managers, um, whether it's for individuals or a team or a shift versus shift. So the idea is that an employee never shows up and sees there's a $1.25 commission, a $1.50 and a $2 commission, and then they're just going to focus all of their attention on the $2 one. Um, 
but instead each of these brands can kind of customize and, and uh, appeal to different kind of competitive behaviors or, or team-based motivations at, at different stores. And I think the challenge also is um, how do you keep it fresh? You know, when I was a retail manager and people would come up, you know, brands would say, oh, you know, we have a, a, a contest to sell more X. And how long is it? Three months. And you're like, three months? Like, Who's going to even remember this, right? So then they cut it down to like two months. And the trouble is after that first week, if you don't see something, it's like, aren't you going to try? Like, no, I'm not. So what's the optimal time for uh, someone to do? And don't say it varies. <laughs> you need to give me some specifics, some case studies. Two weeks. Two weeks, two weeks you optimal. find is the optimal time to get, you know, a good chunk of chime where people get, uh, get a lot of kind of swings and at-bats, uh, but also is not too long, like a month or six weeks, which we run a lot of as well, where they get stale and by week or week three or week four, people have kind of forgotten about it. I will note that virtually every other kind of incentive platform that we ever come across requires the employee to do a lot of work. They have to take a picture of the receipt after or oh talk to their manager after they sell something, uh, you know, to make sure that it gets tallied. And that is really just erodes the efficacy um, of a program like this. So that kind of point of sale integration and that automation of the management is really crucial to reducing friction uh, in, in all aspects of the process. I love that. Anything to add, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, I would just say that it like Jake mentioned, you have to, I guess, like you mentioned about Jake, you have to make products that are so easy and intuitive to use that people can't help but use them. And that's how we think about these employee experiences, because if you make it even slightly difficult or frustrating or annoying for them, they'll punish you for that by not paying attention to it. Um, so it really is all about that product experience as well. Excellent. So what does success look like for a retailer using Spark Plug? Uh, it is... Fantastic and expansive across different. Uh... <laughs> I would expect you to say nothing. <laughs> so I think the biggest one for a, a retailer or a restaurant even um, is oriented around uh, just from a bottom line perspective, they're going to make more money. They're going to sell more product. Um, so on average, when we see a retailer or restaurant start to take in incentives, you know, as a as a you know standard part of their workflow. Uh, they'll increase their order averages, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, 14 to 15%, like in these sort of high teens um, of, of really, really increasing the amount that they're selling with each interaction. And then the second piece that's really powerful is those employees. Um, it's retention. And it's essentially being able to pay your employees more without having to outlay a higher minimum wage. Um, so we see about a decrease of 33% in turnover of employees at the retailers and restaurants that take on Sparkplug. Um, so they are having to hire a lot less. They're retaining their employees. They're getting a lot less of that deadweight loss of having to turn over their employees and retrain them and things like that. Um, so if, if they take away anything, it's those two really, really key aspects of make more money, spend less on those employees and keep better employees. All right. And uh, yeah. when we come back, I'm going to ask Jake, how do we roll this out to a crew? So think about that while we're on a little bit break here. But before we continue, we love our loyal listeners. That's you still making it into the podcast. I appreciate that. So if you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating after this episode, I would appreciate that. Now we just got a quick word from SalesRx, the most fantastic retail sales training program since Sparkplug. Hey, it's Bob again. I'm not only your host, but also the founder of the SalesRx online retail sales training program. How many sales that should have been yours walked out your front doors today? You know, with shoppers being more discerning about where and when they shop, 
you need to convert more lookers to buyers. And SalesRx is the perfect solution to make training memorable. It's bite-sized and can fit easily into your schedules. Don't tell me you don't have time to train. If you can give them time to take a break, you have time for them to train. Now the training builds from some of the quickest ways to engage shoppers to the most advanced. Everything is planned so you can implement your sales training program with a click of a button. And there's a reason we're on four continents training thousands because SalesRx is scalable. Everybody learns the same new skills that will grow your sales. In fact, 83% of users report a double digit increase in their sales within six months. Wouldn't you like that to be your story? Visit SalesRx to learn more and set up a call with me to see how we can help. That's S-A-L-E-S-R-X.com. Now back to the broadcast. All right, and we're back with Andrew Duffy and Jake Levin, co-founders of Sparkplug. So, Jake, I left us with this hanging question. How would you get started with a crew uh, with Sparkplug? Yeah, it's far and away um, kind of the most daunting prospect of implementing an incentive program, how you're going to get the team on board, how you're going to get them excited about it. Um, we have uh, kind of pioneered an SMS-based version of the tool. So there's no app. There's no, again, that friction. Uh, you got to keep it as low as possible. There's no app to download. There's no password to remember. By syncing with the point of sale system, we start a uh, business day one with the entire list of all their employees, all the employees that have a login on the POS. And then we uh, will text them updates and, and kind of links to a pre, pre-logged in tool um, where they can see their incentives, earnings and their standings and kind of claim their cash right to ACH Venmo. Um, so that, again, low friction is the name of the game there. And as a result, we get about 90 plus percent adoption among frontline workers within uh, two weeks. So it really is as easy that's as just replying Spark then to a text them, message. That's the key. And then you keep them coming back. That's the... the so let's turn to you guys as business owners, co-Harvard execs, you and, and Zuck, same thing. He doesn't have a degree, <laughs> not the same thing. Touche, touche. Sorry, I only, that's right, that's right. I apologize. Jake's revealing that he's an Elon Musk fan. He's revealing he's an Elon Musk fan. This is, uh, you know, in the, in the Zuck versus Musk. I see. <laughs> I see. You know, the cage match is coming, baby. You know, it's they got... That's, get all that money. It just goes right to your brain and, you know, do whatever you want. But um, when you guys have disagreements about uh, your vision, so how do you uh, settle that with your distinct backgrounds? They're not, you're not cut from the same cloth. So uh, that's always important for entrepreneurs. You know, I always say when you form a partnership, you need to come into it thinking, you know, when this dissolves and you have to put things in early just to keep it from getting that point where I can't stand talking to them. I'm out. So what do you guys do to deal with disagreements? That's a great question. And don't say you don't no, have that. That is certainly not the case. Uh, I, I think without right. without friction, there's no fire. So if you're not having disagreements, you're probably not thinking hard enough about it or you know caring enough about what you believe um, as it pertains to the vision of the company. Um, you know, for us, obviously, we've, we've been friends for such a long time. You know, we, we first became close friends our, our sophomore year of college. So, you know, we have a now over decades long friendship um, that provides that really meaningful backstop where we know that we have a relationship where we'll come back to the table. Even if we have a really hard meeting or a really hard discussion, we'll, we'll come back to the table and we'll, and we'll talk it through because we have that just sort of durability of, of relationship and friendship over time. Um, and I think that we have um, consistently been 
lucky to actually, despite our, our slightly different backgrounds, pretty fluidly move throughout different parts of the business. Um, so we'll kind of trade off responsibilities for different aspects of, of the work and the, and the focus of the work at different times, which really helps us to, I think, empathize with the other's position. You know, if you're in a co-founder relationship where it's super clearly defined that this person's, you know, the CTO, they're in charge of all the technical stuff. This is the CEO, they do everything external. It's a lot harder, I think, for those two types of co-founders to empathize with each other and say, hey, you know, I'm here talking to all these customers and all these investors and like, we really need the platform to do this. And hey, I'm here working with the engineers and that's literally impossible. Um, so I don't know what you want me to say. Like those types of exchanges, I think are, are where those relationships start to fray. Whereas because we actually, you know, can sort of fluidly move throughout the business, we have a little bit more ability to, to align on those things. And the last thing that I would recommend for any co-founder pair is, um, we have a co-founder coach, um, who is actually a, uh, like a marriage counselor who started a business as a co-founder coach on the side, uh, because she thought that was really applicable. And she's been co-founder clients and um we i think have found that exceedingly useful um to be able to have like a you know a, a person who can help us think about how we operate together as as you know professional teammates as well as you know good friends yeah i would also just add that um kind of another superpower to our partnership is that we, we've always been 50-50 from day one. And we've always felt like our, our incentives are completely aligned. And I remember when we were in an accelerator, uh, when we first started the, the business and we went into an accelerator, there were half a dozen other teams. Um, and the accelerator was only eight weeks long. It was kind of a sprint program, right? Where you learn a lot about, uh, you get a little seed capital and you learn a ton about fundraising and you're trying to get some traction. And we came in on day one and we hit the ground running and, and uh, we knew exactly how we were going to divide responsibilities and we were working on the business and working on getting customers. And meanwhile, all the other teams were negotiating their respective equity stakes and who was going to do what and who had a still a part-time job and, you know, as a result, could put in less time. So they got less stake in the company. And that has never, ever been a distraction for us. And we've never doubted, you know, the other's commitment or, or dedication or, um, you know, resolve when it comes to spark plug and what we wanted to build together. Yeah, that's a great point. Adding friction um, doesn't make life easier. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a growing sentiment about the importance of physical stores in the age of online. So how do you think spark plug is going to help uh, bridge that gap uh, between online and off online and offline world? Yeah, I think that um, the, the physical retail world is kind of bifurcating into Efficiency, grab and go, you know, run into Whole Foods, scan your palm to buy, you know, your your groceries that are already laid out for you um, versus experiential. And the experiential world is where in the pandemic, we started to see a lot more combination between online and in store, where you were capturing a customer's information in store and then transitioning to them to be an online buyer. Um, or you were giving a customer a really great experience in the store, which allowed them to then you know, become a loyal customer in other channels or at other stores. And I think the really key piece of that that we focus on and we think is super critical is the attention and care and effort of the in-store employee. Um, so as the in-store environment gets more digitized, more complex, more important, more crucial to the operation of these omni-channel businesses, you have to pay these employees more. You have to get them 
the dollars they need to be able to upskill and to feel like this job is worth the amount of skill and effort that they're putting into it. And maybe that means there are fewer employees, but they are of you know a higher degree of, of knowledge or training or experience. But there have to be platforms that facilitate that, whether it's compensating them more highly for that performance or whether it's um, getting them excited and engaged with the types of learning that they need to do to be able to handle that now increasingly complex environment. Like these employees are going to turn more into you know, your classic desk bound, quote unquote, knowledge worker, um, you know, because they're going to have to become really adept at dealing with all these different technologies and experiences they need to provide. Well, I think part of the trouble is we've added all this noise into retail. And it's funny, people are like, oh, we're hiring energetic, happy, <laughs> enthusiastic people to work in retail. Oh, I, that sounds, I want to do that. And then they get on the floor and it's like, okay, get these online orders out by five yeah. o'clock or else you're fired. And by the way, I need you to go and uh, move that stuff from there over here. It's like, um, what about the customers? Yeah, they'll wait. And frankly, I think when, you know, the buzzword is bifurcating in retail. I think it's coming down to either you give a crap about people mm -hmm. or you don't. Either you say employees are more disposable than ever. We got through the pandemic. We're paying them too much. We'll cut it down to nothing. We'll get more AI. will solve everything, right? We'll get more apps so people can just self-check out. Or you say our competing process has got to be mm -hmm. our people. And either we master this or we give up with it. I don't think you have a choice to do both anymore. I think we're seeing that from the way that employees are treated. I think that's why we're seeing a big pushback of a lot of brands, you know, people trying to unionize and all this and saying, I don't feel like the effort I'm putting out is being rewarded. And we see businesses saying, well, the effort you're putting out isn't really helping me as much as helping you. So the only way really to think forward with that is how do I get down to the individual? And I think that's what attracts me to uh, your platform. I can't believe you said follow Excel spreadsheets, Jake. That's like my, that's me, dude. Like, um, and you used to, when I first started, I started in shoes and you would have to make, uh, on the bottom of all of the shoe creams and stuff was a little sticker. They put a sticker on and you have to peel those off and you put it on a piece of paper and you would mail it in every week to get what was your spiffs. And at that time, you know, if you got 10 bucks extra a week when you're only being paid $1.75 an hour, I know, can you believe it? That's, that's significant. So um, the ability to not have to do any of that or track any of that, I think, makes uh, all the difference. You know, what is the biggest misconception you think um, retailers in general, not your clients, of course, but retailers in general have about uh, either the in-store experience or um, employees? And I'll let you go with that, Jake. Yeah, I think... Um Specifically, when it comes to incentives, uh, I think the, the biggest misconception is, is around the potential degradation of the customer experience and how employees might become too salesy, salesy. salesy and get too aggressive and, you know, are going to just totally turn off customers and you'll never win their loyalty and they'll be out the door. And, and in practice, that's not what we see at all. Great salespeople know that. To win the sale, to maximize the value, you have to build a relationship, you build a rapport, you get them to trust you, and you delight them. And ultimately, customers don't want more decisions when they walk into a store. Uh, decisions are painful. They want to be really confident in the few decisions that they do make. And the best way to get them confident in those decisions is to ensure that the person that they're connecting with and they're building a real relationship with, they trust and places the product that's perfect for them that also happens to be you know, on, on SPIF that month, 
uh, into their hands and, and they're going to go home and they're going to feel great about it. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, that's really the big thing that um, if you just take that argument a little farther, they'll be too salesy. They only get paid if they mm -hmm. make the sale. So if they become the used car salesman, you want this? We got this on sale. We got this. right. If they become that guy, which no one, by the way, the fear of that is far greater than anything mm -hmm. I've ever seen. I hear it every day. And you're like, really? Did you ever see someone do yeah. that? Did anyone really try to get your business in the last, I don't know, 20 years? Well, they could, though. It's like, not really. Most of what we're dealing with is indifference. That's what I think is mm -hmm. the thing that is just eating the heart out of retail. It used to be you would have people who come together. They like meeting people. You know, we didn't have this. So if you like to talk to people, we're great. You know, you're a theater major, you're a cheerleader, you're debate, you're teacher, whatever it is, this is great practice for you to go out and how to meet people. But because we don't train employees anymore, they're going to default to their girlfriend, boyfriend, <laughs> which is the phone. It might ring. I might get a tweet at X or whatever the hell it is, maybe something exciting will be there because it's dead boring here. And if you don't solve that, which is if we're successful, you're successful, but we're tied now. That's what I think the the thing that, that I like about the way your incentive works. You're tied mm -hmm. together now. We sync, you sync. I don't think most retailers, I don't think most employees um, understand that. Anything you want to add? Yeah, I think, and I, I think that it's harder in some retail environments, Target, Walmart, you know, grocery store, it's, it's tough to get real excited about poultry and produce. And you, it can happen for sure, but it's just a different sort of sale. It's a different customer experience you're providing. It's much more aligned with the other fork in the kind of retail bifurcation. So that has really, you know, informed our go-to-market and the businesses and verticals that we focus on, specialty retail, you know, outdoor gear, cosmetics, cannabis where customers have no idea what they want when they walk in the door because you're already starting with an audience of employees who could be working at a restaurant or fast food or you know a big grocer but they care so much about the product they care about evangelizing to customers um so we already are starting with a leg up of, of a, a pretty educated and engaged sort of user base agreed and that's why you don't put a um, spiff on raw chicken at walmart <laughs> because it's not going to lift sales. I don't care how good you are. Well, listen, gentlemen, we've been having a great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time out there in San Francisco. So um, tell me something good about retail. I'll start with you, Andrew, because you've been waiting patiently <laughs> down there against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my good thing about retail uh, is, I'll go back to the data because that's where I, I like to go. Um, over the past two decades, people have every single year claimed that that was the real, the year that retail was going to die. Um, and if you look at the data, uh, every year, retail seeds about 0.7% commerce market share to e-com. Every single year, like clockwork. Um, during the pandemic, there was a big you know jump up in e-com, but that completely retraced and went back to the trend line. Um, and I think what's really important to understand about retail is that if e-com is as big as it is today with 15% of, of commerce market share, then it will take decades and decades and decades for retail to get to the point where it's not a feasible, valuable part of our economy and of our commerce stack. Um, so retail is here to stay, I guess, is the good thing that I want to say about it. And the data back that up. And the changes that we're seeing are consistently being used to enhance retail. 
you know, VR, AR, those are going to be used to enhance retail experiences and create more layers to the retail experience. But it's all going to start and stay in the physical world ultimately. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I'm quite confident in both quantitatively and qualitatively. And that's great. Excellent. And Mr. Jake. Yeah, I think uh, something great about retail in my eyes is the convergence of hospitality and retail um, and the investment in entertainment and really the creativity that is going into uh, these brick and mortar shops and, and retail experiences. Um, and similar to how Amazon realized that they could you know, invest in a bunch of content and that was going to result in them selling more toilet paper because they're going to get people's attention. They're going to be on the site and they're going to have more loyalty and affinity towards Amazon Prime and the shows and then the purchasing. Uh, uh, so many innovative retailers are experimenting with such exciting activations and, um, you know, games and parties and signings and shows and, you know, everything you can imagine. So much food as well. Uh, which which is an incredible way to get people off the couch uh, and into a store is, is free food. Um, and, you know, of course, they're going to shop while they're there. So I think for me, it's uh, it's the kind of creativity and hospitality that's being uh, inspired. I think that's a great idea. It's like, oh, we, we like people again. You know, we went through the pandemic and they had to go through all the masks and, you know, you're not doing this and stay back and all of that. And a lot of people got freaky about it. And then a lot of people got out of retail and now there's a new group of people who are actually coming back. Some veteran people sort of seasoned I, people my age, you know, older at 65, I guess you'd be like grandkids. My God, that's crazy. But the whole idea is that I think we, we forget that people who feel they matter do a better job to make other people feel they matter, mm. which is why if you can make your employees feel that way by rewarding them for, for doing the or adding their twist to it or being able to add on or whatever that's going to be instead of always going to the lazy marketing schedule of let's just discount it then suddenly you can hold on to margins and you hold on to employees and everything works so i appreciate you guys joining us today you want to find out more about spark plug you can read about it below in the podcast example and uh continued success to you guys thanks bob thanks appreciate you having us thank you bob You've been listening to Tell Me Something Good About Retail with Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor. As a listener, you can receive free information and guides when you visit retaildoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. Thanks for being with us. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. To virtually bring Bob to all of your crew and associates, check out www.salesrx.com. 